Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast, looking at how we're retaining young talent. I'm senior reporter for the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Having spoken to all our network members and people even outside the marketing industry, we know that retaining young talent is a real challenge. They have different expectations now about what they want from their career, from their working environment and from their employers. So, to discuss everything to do with attracting and retaining young talent, I'm joined by three absolutely fantastic guests to share their experiences about how they are making sure that their work environments are conducive to the development of young talent. So, to discuss that wide-ranging topic, I am joined by Mike Petritsevich of This Thing of Ours and Waste Creative, Hannah Smith, who's Senior Art Director at Cult London, and Oliver Bruce of Pinpoint Media. I began by asking them all to introduce themselves. Yeah, sure. I'm Mike. Um, I am um, one of the co-founders of Waste Creative. We're like a fan-first creative agency. Um, we specialize in the entertainment industry, specifically kind of around the gaming. Um, yeah. Nice, fantastic. And Hannah? Hi, uh, I'm Senior Art Director at Cult, where we focus uh, specifically in sectors like beauty, fashion, luxury. Um, and I also head up our uh, global mentoring programme, which is called Futures Generation. And that essentially was born out of the pandemic uh, in hopes to lift that industry veil and give everyone from around the world um, a look into the industry. Amazing. And I think in a first for the Drum Network podcast, we actually have a couple of people joining us from an Honest to God podcast studio. So Oliver, why don't you introduce us to kind of the, the team there and also uh, make me even more jealous with the amazing sound quality. <laughs> so, hopefully it's good, so, but practice what we preach. So I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and MD of Pinpoint Media. We're a data led creative agency. However, in the studio, we've also got Dan Miller, producer Dan, as we call I'll him. I'll just throw my hands up in yeah, the air randomly. <laughs> randomly. Yeah, but, thanks for joining. For the, for the listeners, yeah. And we've brought our, our vlogger along as well. We've got Maddie. Um, apt, because Maddie's 22, Dan's 25, I'm 27. So, no, I'm not on 28, I lie. So there you go. <laughs> from, from a young point of view, we thought we'd bring that to the table. Well, that is a fantastic segue. And based on everything that you've said, I know that we have a, uh, a wide range of expertise here from the people who are encouraging young people in the industry to the people who tend to cater for them. But obviously, as we mentioned in the intro, there's been a bit of a flashpoint in people focusing on what young people in the industry want and how we can we can retain younger talent. So, Hannah, I wondered if we could begin with you. What are some of the main concerns then around agencies when it comes to retaining those, that young creative talent, which is kind of the bedrock of our industry's future? Yeah, of course. I think there's so many things that are concerning for different types of agencies. The large agencies will definitely have different concerns than more independent agencies. But I think it's how we can cater to the fact that lots of junior talent coming into the industry now either doesn't come from that conventional ad school uni background, but also comes from a whole uh, different like variety of backgrounds that we need to invest in from an educational perspective and a learning perspective as well. And all of those creative talents, they have so many skills um, that they have in there, like one of our juniors she uh, is an up-and-coming director photographer she's also an amazing creative art director and also a graphic designer and we would never want to put her in a box uh, of being a graphic designer because she has all of those amazing skills and I think that's a challenge when you have a very traditional um, uh, let's say hierarchy structure within your agency and traditional job roles because it means that you're immediately putting those creative uh, brains, those sort of untapped brains where the most exciting ideas come from into those boxes that they find very difficult to break free from. And 
um, it can be overwhelming for agencies to understand where to place them, especially if you do have those sort of traditional um, structures. And we call all of our juniors creatives because, um, and it's kind of up to them. We never just call them a creative. We're like, what would you like to do? We kind of like to tailor their roles around um, around what they want to learn as, as being a junior. We would all, I hope, never expect a junior to have all of the answers um, straight away. So us being able to tailor their, their sort of careers with them and, and give them that springboard is is important for us in retaining that that talent and and treating them like we would if we wanted to engage an audience like these these um, amazing brains we want to tap into and and be able to learn from so it's it's almost a a, a traditional structure can stifle a lot of those kind of those creative impulses in a lot of ways yeah I think I, I kind of see like with the first year I see it is around kind of this post-covid bit you know and this is probably not exclusive to the younger generation, but it's a it's a real concern kind of nature-wide. And it's like kind of this mass exodus or this kind of the great resignation or whatever everyone wants to call it at the moment, you know. Um, everyone's kind of got this thing, they're reevaluating their lives, you know, their work-life balance and kind of own personal values and what it means to them and that type of thing. And can they achieve that kind of within the current company they're in or job they've got, you know? And so this is this this is something that's coming up a lot with us. And I read this article the other day and it was about the ad land and the new future and kind of one really disturbing thing I read in there was that over 50% of people, like, they had a huge pool of creatives that they interviewed. And over 50% of them weren't just going to kind of looking at changing jobs, they're changing complete careers. You know, and so that for me was a massive thing. You know, I remember when I grew up as a designer, the biggest change in the industry was everyone went and became a landscape designer or that type of thing. So I think that for us at the moment is kind of, um, is, is a big concern. Um, you know, and especially when kind of clients are working back up at the moment, you know, the work's back. We need good people within our industry. Mm. So as an industry, we need to stand up and kind of make it better, make it more inclusive, embrace this kind of flexible kind of way of working, I guess, which we're all trying to get to grips with at the moment. That's yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. And actually, Oliver, the, so something Hannah mentioned was the word investment there. Mm-hmm. So for you, what are some of those kind of key areas of investment that you're looking into at Pinpoint, really, to make sure that you are appealing to young talent? A hundred percent. I think it's twofold. One is we're investing heavily in, ironically, offices. I know we've just gone through a pandemic, but actually opening new co-working spaces, be that, you know, service office that are collaborating in town, London, for instance, or actually something that's more out in the sticks, I suppose, that actually you can get more for your buck, I suppose. And actually people will move out of town because the culture is slightly better because there's more, you know, greenery, I suppose, is the simple way to put it, is something we've done a lot of. Um, We've also taken on kickstarters and the government kickstart scheme was hugely important in in terms of actually integrating new young talent into businesses regardless of if it's agency or 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 a different industry for us we took on 12 kickstarters we've kept 50 percent of them we're just going into the second cohort now so actually that was a really good way of us bringing in new talent we might not necessarily have uh had welcomed on previously simply because they didn't have the skills or the expertise we can train them up we can nurture them and we can embed them uh, in the business but that's not to say that obviously there are people out there that are jumping as as, as mike rightly said mm. jumping around businesses left right and center but the recruitment market at the moment is really tough regardless of age regardless of if you're younger older more experienced it is just an incredibly candidate driven market something that's i think it. oh go on Sorry, I was just going to say, I have to, the Kickstarter program, we have Kickstarters and I found as well that we found really interesting talent and it just shows that 
um, the candidates are out there. It's just still that struggle of finding that person that you can connect with within the industry, especially if you're not from like a traditional advertising backgrounds in terms of going to like an ad school, the Kickstarter program, I have found um, the, the talent that we have is unbelievable. Like I'm sure you'll agree, Oliver, it's like, it's completely uh, amazing about the skills that they have to bring. And I don't think that without the Kickstarter program, we would have met them, which is such a shame. <laughs> yeah, we, we discovered an incredible um, editor, one of our editors called Harry, who actually until the other day, I actually thought was a full-time member of staff, but mm. I was told he came in on the Kickstart scheme. He's that good. And actually he's one of the guys that we've, we've, we've kept on. And, and actually there is an incredible amount of talent out there. And we, as a, as a business, as an industry, uh, what we focus on doing is actually hiring based on passion and skill rather than degree and grades and, and being dyslexic, dyspraxic myself with one GCSE, I would never have been able to walk into a job at the age of 18, 19, 20 and get the job I wanted because I didn't have the qualifications or degrees. So when we hire and we look for talent, we tend to look at the last couple of years of experience and passion and see if we can nurture and work with them. Because fundamentally, the younger you are, you might not have vast amounts of experience, but you might be incredibly hungry and want to grow with a business. And we're able to take people on that journey now. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. I was, I was thinking like as creative agencies, we need to get more creative with the way that we find people. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, and that's something we've been trying to do is that we have a thing we call the foundation. It's basically we run all of our internships through there. Um, and, and probably the most successful one just recently is like predominantly a lot of our work is around the gaming area. So, you know, we were like, do we go gaming first or creative first? What are we looking for here? And so we've always gone creative first. So this particular way, we Animal Crossing, which has got this kind of big kind of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that particular game. We put out a creative brief in Animal Crossing. So you had oh, you got, <laughs> so you had to be a gamer to get the brief. So you had to so we created our own island for Waste Waste Island. You had to go to the island, you had to find the brief, and you had to answer it. So there was all this automatic barrier that did, but the kind of the diversity of kind of thought and talent which came through this was was really exceptional. Um, and so the success of that one, we've just been starting to try to design more things like that, more things we can tap into different markets, different cultures, different people, you know. And well, I think is oh gone. I was, was going to say so to the point. Maddie's Maddie's in the room now. Maddie's been with us all of two weeks, and Maddie's come on as as our vlogger. Now the interview process with Maddie, she's twenty two years old, but it was essentially to send your CV through as a vlog to do a vlog interview, if that kind of makes sense. And you can read pieces of paper and you can look at people's experience, but you're absolutely right, Mike. In the creative world, you have to think as creatively as possible to hire these individuals because they're not going to want to go to a business that isn't fundamentally creative if they want to get into the creative industry. So so why would the recruitment process not um, kind of underwrite that? One of the things that I think is interesting, you've all, you've all spoken to some degree about how potentially the old way of finding new talent, it was a little bit too formal, it was a little bit too reliant on pre-existing structures, and that you've really doubled down on actually appealing to people's creativity for that. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually reaching out and talking to potential candidates, what's your sense of what younger people who are coming into the industry prioritize? You know, anecdotally, it used to be, you know, things like more flexibility around home working and all this kind of stuff. But what have all of your experiences been in actually talking to younger talent and finding out what they want? Is it mentorship? Is it a kind of a clear career progression? What are we looking at? What are we talking about here? It's definitely for me what I've seen from sort of um, our mentoring program and the feedback that we've had from there about hopes for the hopes for the future of the industry is definitely variety. And I know that um, a sort of even midway 
creatives that I've mentored in the industry and who are mentors in our program, they look for things like mentorship opportunities because they're looking for ownership over something. They're looking for variety in everything that they work on. I think gone are the days where you can expect to get the best out of creatives from working on just one client um, for three years of their career. Um, and from experience, I know that definitely having the variety is where you can get the best creative. You learn so many things from working with so many different people, from collaborating. And I think when you're not given that variety and that opportunity to grow, you're not given enough challenges. If you, if you know a client like Back to Front, it's great to have that relationship, but you need to have that variety on the other side and as I was talking about all of the different skills that um, you know you see a lot of more hybrid creatives coming into the industry that's where we need to like make sure that we're nurturing all of that and make sure that we're being open and honest with um, those conversations like right up front in the interview process and being really sort of like honest about how we're building those personal connections as well so is it that we are looking um doing a call out on instagram stories on our mentoring program is it that we're um, going through our network is it that we're doing a shout out to um, the mentors on our mentoring program or is it that we're just reaching out to talent that we absolutely love who may already be employed that we just want to meet and have conversations with because we're inspired by them and so i think having inspiration and having love for that person that you are interviewing is really important and being able to sort of pivot to what their career goals are um, and give them the opportunity to to thrive and also teach us things I learned so much from our junior team and it's it's really exciting yeah I'd be interested to, if if Mike that tracks with your experience about having people brought in who you know their their priority is what they can almost offer back to you in terms of experience and ideas so I remember um, I was always told you know, when you when you go in for a job interview, the best question you can ask is, you know, how much freedom do I have to pitch my own ideas rather than kind of follow along? So to what extent are people coming in now with the expectation that they will be able to almost lead creative efforts? Yeah, I mean, that, that is happening. I mean, it, it's a tricky one, that, right? I mean, because, you know, I, know, I think um, younger talent coming in, they do, I mean, Running an agency, but running an agency is not all off the award-winning work. You know, there is all the bread and butter. There is all the stuff that actually runs and keeps the thing going. So I think the expectation of that is um, when when the young people come in, it's it is high. But over time, they're going to get the agency life and what it's going going for. Mm. Um, I, I think I think one of the things with interviewing a lot of the young people at the moment, what they're really after is transparency. You know, they're really looking at kind of, uh, you know, they're really looking at kind of the company and going, what is what is the vision for this company? Do you have a clear kind of, have you got values which we can kind of get on board with? Have you got a clear kind of roadmap where you're going? And they're looking for strong leadership in that kind of that kind of area, you know, because um, they come in and, you know, a lot of the special ones coming out of uni, they are very, very green when they come in, you know, mm. some of them got great ideas, but they need to be helped to be shaped and molded into this kind of area. Um, so I think, you know, so that's what I think our job is certainly the more mature part of the creative industry is it's our role is kind of to help along, help them along with that and that type of thing. Um, yeah. Makes, makes sense. And, and yeah. to what extent then does pinpoint when it's actually, you know, talking to these young people, how, how rigid, uh, not rigid, that's the wrong word, how formalized and how structured is that potential career progression when you are talking to them? So, I mean, we are very clear in terms of career progression. At the end of every year, we will obviously tell the team what the strategy for the next coming year, forthcoming year, uh, will be. But we always, uh, to Mike's point, uh, 
basically practice what we preach and put into place what we promise, essentially. So actually, when we deliver this strategy, this presentation at the end of the year and this inspirational tour, at least I hope it's inspirational, but this talk at the end of the year, we then make sure that what we promise we deliver. And that retains individuals, for instance, because they know that actually when we say we're going to hire, for instance, like we did this year, 10, 12 people, we'll do that. And it's not just a fake false promise. They've got something to work towards. Moreover, you've obviously got the career progression. So if you, for instance, want to work your way up from X to Y, this is the trajectory you need to go down. This is how you'll be able to do that. And we have platforms in place like Leapson, for instance, we have 360 peer reviews, X, Y, and Z, whereby actually we can consistently monitor and make sure that people are on that trajectory that they want to be on to make sure that they can grow that career, uh, climb that career ladder accordingly. And I think you're absolutely right, Mike. Transparency is so important, but actually inspiring and making sure that the vision of the agency, the growth of the agency is also aligned with what that individual kind of wants, because we're quite clear when we hire people, it, we are growing aggressively. This is where we want to be in 12, 24 months time. There is a lot of work that we need to put in to get there, but this is a team effort. And if you're clear from day one, when there are extra hours that need to be put in or when there's extra things that need to be done, everyone can sort of drive to the same goal. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's kind of like one of those, I don't know, it's 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 how you get it front and center is in part of your employer brand as well. So we're talking about attracting talent. It's, it's, all, it's all very well coming at when you're talking about it inside the agency. You know, we do that to every team. Everything is in Google Slides. Everyone can up, open anything up to do with the agency at any time and see it. Financials, the whole lot, it's completely open. But when you're trying to communicate that with the net, with people who are out there looking for a new job, that's when you're going to really focus on your kind of employer brand, making sure it's front and center and your comms, probably talking about it in podcasts like this, website, you know, social media, wherever it needs to be. And, and, then, and then it becomes very strong. And I think as creative agencies, we're terrible at doing that. We're very, very bad. You know, we're, we're great at marketing other people, but marketing ourselves is where we kind of fall down a little bit. And so I think if we put a little bit more kind of emphasis on that, um, it might not even be the topic in the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Much point, though. I was only having this conversation a couple of hours ago to, to a colleague because we're, we're currently going through some interviews for a strategist, essentially. And actually, if you dial the clock back 5, 10, 15 years to, uh, to you know, when, when you or I, for instance, would have been going for our first jobs, the agency or the company didn't necessarily have to sell themselves as much as they do now. The individual would go there, the individual would have to sell themselves and the company could go yes or no. Whereas mm. now agencies and companies have to fundamentally from day one sell themselves almost as much as the individual or the candidate has to sell themselves because there is so much option out there. There's so much much, uh, much more entrepreneurship that's going on mm. that people have so many more uh, sort of a choices, I suppose, is the simple way to put it. But in our business, we try and make sure that people are entrepreneurs. And again, to the freedom point, Mike, and, and again, transparency, Hannah, um, we allow people to kind of come up with ideas and make them happen. Rarely do we say no. And if we do say no, it's just generally because it is absolutely the wrong thing that we feel as an entity uh, it, to, to be done isn't the right thing to be doing. However, if it does go wrong, we learn from that and we move on. So that's one way from a younger generation or a younger talent point of view that we can learn and adapt. So I suppose that, that leads quite neatly onto my next question, which is, you know, there is this supposition that, well, in fact, no, it's just a, it's just true. We need to attract young talent. We need to get their expertise and to help kind of broaden our own abilities and the, the number of ideas that we can bring to the table. You know, we're not becoming kind of stuffy or set in our ways. But how then, and I'll ask this to you, Hannah, how do you go about ensuring that they do maintain what Oliver was just talking about there with that kind of entrepreneurial spirit when there are other options and there are so many other ways of almost going about business in the way that they want? How do you attract them to a pre-existing company? 
Yeah, that's so interesting because we have many of um, everyone at Colt really has some sort of side hustle or another interest that they have. And I think that's how you and the mentoring program was my sort of like side hustle, which um, fortunately Colt really got behind in um, in the in the pandemic. But it's really interesting because it's it is about that freedom and about that transparency and I think the pandemic has given us that one gift that we do have more time to curate a work-life balance I suppose I don't know about um all of you but we have sort of an 80-20 way of working which is whether you do 80 percent um client work and 20% your sort of side hustle or your learning or or what that might be but we also take that onto onto briefs as well so it'll be that 80% of answering the brief and then that 20% of going above and beyond and coming up with those ideas that really excite you because they're that entrepreneurial thinking that we don't necessarily get to do in that day-to-day work and that's what really excites everybody no matter what level that you're you're at because you get to sort of let your brain run wild and it may not be in budget but it's something that's truly exciting to you and everybody in the room that powers those conversations I think another one is that flexible working or that remote working that I've seen really power more diversity coming into the industry as well because so for example one of our juniors she lives in Edinburgh she still lives there works with us remotely all the time not based in Edinburgh based and but we were working in that way before with got an office in New York most of our clients are in the US so we've we're very used to flexibly working so it has worked um for us and helped sort of propel that trust that we have um in our teams which I think just genuinely helps retaining that talent when there is you know those other options I know um Ikra won't mind me saying who is our amazing uh junior she's an up-and-coming photographer director she does a lot of shoots at the weekend on the evening for really really big clients as well so it's it's still retaining her sort of um, creative mission, if you like, but she's still doing um, that day-to-day work with us. That's a, that's a really nice way of going about it. And I, I don't think we need to talk about it for too long um, because it's been covered elsewhere. In fact, we've got a specific podcast just talking about it. But how important is that remote working as, a, as an option for younger talent? Oliver, you were talking about having an office as a priority. So to what extent is that something that we are expecting young people to become habituated to as at least an option I, th- I think i think having offices for us was a decision that we made you know yes before the pandemic but arguably followed it through the pandemic and and did it mainly because having an area that people regardless of whether based in the country can come to as a centralized head office is not only important culturally to make sure people can meet and collaborate but also from a mental health point of view so you're not always having to work out of a coffee shop or from your home However, that said, we are opening up in London literally in the next couple of weeks. We were yesterday looking at offices and rather than going down that kind of, you know, four walled office vibe, we're looking at just taking a WeWork membership out. It's mm. a couple hundred quid a month. People can go to whatever WeWork they want to go to. I think there's 3000 WeWorks across the globe. I don't get paid by them to say this, but <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a good it's a good proposition in terms of being able to just pop in and collaborate creatively, but actually have a space that you can meet that's not a coffee shop, that isn't your home, and that is centralised. And, you know, by Christmas, we'll have London sources in terms of the WeWork agreement. We've got our Cheltenham head office at the moment, which has just been redeveloped and we moved into at the beginning of the year, Manchester next year, and then America, if we can do that 
um, in the next 12, 18 months as, as, as well. And I think to your point, it is fundamental when attracting talent to have these little satellite offices or hubs, but actually don't disregard the fact that if people want to work from home, that's still absolutely fine. And we're not precious on them being in the office five days a week or three days a week or whatever, as long as the work is done. And I think that's the way the culture and the, and the kind of vibe is going at the moment is you know kind of work as discretionarily as you want to but just make sure that you hit those deadlines and get the work done to the best of your ability but i don't really care where you do that but here's the options if you do want to come in nice and mike yeah. what, how does that track with with what you've seen then yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm kind of on the same kind of boat with all of them that one yeah. to be honest but I, I think it's important to define what flexible and remote working means to you because it means something to every different company and that's kind of where we're coming and especially if you're talking about attracting new people you know that, that they need to know what their kind of expectations are coming into this company back to all of the sayings like we're we're being interviewed anymore so you know more and more these days so we need to have that out there that flexible working is extremely important but people want more control of the way they work more autonomy um, but not just about hours but also where they are in the world um, and, you know, at the moment, we've got people working from everywhere and they were from our London office. One guy was like, can I go to Italy? He went out there for a month speaking to one of our strategists yesterday. She's in Germany. And I was, and I was like, this is fantastic. But it's a win-win at the same time, because if you can operate like that and you can kind of redesign your company to work like that efficiently, you open up to a huge global talent pool and not just get in this particular area where we are at the moment where we can't find people. Mm. Um, but there's the flip side of that as well. You know, there's the people who, who don't want to be at home. You know, the, a lot of the younger people, you know, they want to bounce off other people. They want to learn from others. They want to communicate easier. So it's it's that kind of finding that balance, I think, for us now. It's like, how, how do we do this? And I think that is going to be one of our big challenges this year. It's yeah. kind of this hybrid working, you know, it's, you know because we're, everyone's got their view on it. Everyone's kind of got their opinion. But I, my kind of personal opinion is we just need to get on with it, get in it, try it out, test and learn. Textiles, you know, like kind of, you know, if it doesn't work, redefine it, redo it again, and then just get into it like that. So that's kind of how we're approaching. Right, Mike. I think is when mm. people have just gone. Like a lot of agencies have in the last twelve months, they've gone. Let's increase our profit and bottom line by just getting rid of the offices. Mm. I think that's a massive mistake because actually, yeah, you might become slightly more profitable, but you're not going to be able to retain and maintain the culture, the candidate, the clients, anything like that because you've shelved your offices. I know a couple of agencies who have just gone. We don't need them at all. And I just mm. don't think that's going to be sustainable because I, for one, wouldn't want to go and work for a company whereby they have no real estate. You're just working from your bedroom. It just, for me, it doesn't make sense. And I think I have well, to- Well, you, you don't know how tall your coworkers are. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's so true. I did hire someone over Zoom. I say we- quite short. Um, but anyway, you know, what can you do? However, you're right. I have to work from the office all the time. I couldn't work from my bedroom um, at all. It just wouldn't work. So we've had teams starting to go in, like uh, choosing a day per week and just said, you know, it's completely optional if people want to go in. And so I, I went in the other day and there was a design team day and I was like, I'll go on the design team. I'll go the next day to the creative team's one. Went in the design team. I walked straight past this guy out the front and uh, he's a big, big dude, like six foot something. I'm kind of <laughs> short, dude, you know, six foot something. Walked straight past and went upstairs and realized it's our new designer. <laughs> like later on when he walked, walked into the office, I was like, I didn't know you were that big, man. Um, but like, just going back to it, I know we don't want to spend too much time on it, but like seeing people in the office, we had 25 people in the office, which is the first time like having anywhere close to that and probably like a year and a half, which is insane. So, you know, like the third of, third of the agencies in the office. And we were kind of sitting there and go, this is just, it feels like work again. It was yeah. great. You know, it was really, really good. As much as I love working at home, don't be wrong, I've got my rhythm, I've gone up and that type of thing. It's great. It was just nice to be back in the office. So having that kind of option and that flexibility where people go in or they don't is so important. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
And I think that something that the, the head of the network, Collie, was very keen that I ask you is what are the relative benefits or rather the relative advantages of kind of the smaller agencies versus the larger agencies when it comes to a, attracting and retaining young talent? I know we have a sort of, a, we're, we're lacking one of the kind of the larger agencies here, obviously, but what would be some of those advantages that you think as a kind of smaller agency you have in attracting and retaining young talent? I don't know who wants to take that first. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are you going to say, Mike? So- <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you go first. Will. No, no, go for it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think we're more relevant, you know what I mean? And, and, and that kind of thing. And simply put, it's just come to being more agile, you know. Um, it's easier, easier for us to change when times are changing, like now. Stay relevant mm-hmm. to things. You know, the curve is so steep at the moment. You know, it's like this freaking hockey stick of things mm-hmm. going around. Um, like the first lockdown accelerated digital transformation just across the globe. Like mm-hmm. just, it was insane how it went. And that affects everyone, even like multinational kind of ad agencies and networks and that. Um, I kind of, it always reminds me of this, this kind of uh, analogy one of the guys in the office uses, and it's like the speedboat versus the oil tanker. So the oil tankers are like the kind of multinational agencies you know it takes a lot of time long time for them to kind of shift i guess position or whatever and we we the indies are kind of like the speedboats you know we're out there weaving through different waters accelerating if we need to we're experimenting failing pivoting if new platform drops opening new departments you know and i think it's it's for them um you know it, that's why it's important for them they we're the ones out there testing the water and they need to keep up with that. And, you know, the talent, they're kind of, they're following that, you know, they jump, mm. a lot of them jump ship a couple of years ago into kind of smaller places, um, you know, and we're, we're getting up with that. And clients are, clients are doing the same thing, you know, they kind of, they want the transparency, you know, the, the smoke and mirrors is many years ago. <laughs> so, it was quite um, funny. I was speaking to, to your point, Mike, but I was speaking to someone yeah. the other day and they said, we'd rather use a, a smaller agency because actually we know we don't have to pay for the water fountain and the coffee machine in the corner <laughs> that we never use. I was like, it's a quite a fair point, really. The bigger the agency, the bigger the office, the more the overheads, the more that will get wrapped into the final bill. Whereas a small agency, you know, you walk in, you can see 25, 35, 45, whatever it is, people in the office, and you know where the money's going. It's not going on a water fountain and nice cars. Mm. Yeah, so the, the, tr- the trust has gone there, isn't it? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I think something that I wanted to touch upon with with what Hannah was saying before about kind of having that side hustle is that that is almost a new reality for a lot of for a lot of younger people within the industry and, and not just younger people. You know, I'm 33 and I'm got eight different side hustles at the moment, and that uh, I wondered how much we think that the pendulum is going to swing back to people who want to really focus on one thing their, their career rather than having you know a bunch of different skill sets, which ultimately while they might enjoy them doesn't necessarily help them progress so to what extent then do we think that we are going to see a bit of a course correction or is this the reality now for for the foreseeable future i think personally that it will hopefully i hope remain a reality for junior creatives no matter what age they are we've seen so many um sort of junior creatives now who have pivoted from completely different industries who are still trying out new things as as a junior creative and i think we as an industry, like I know a lot of independent agencies, I feel like we are already doing that, but mm. I feel like we need to pivot of how we position juniors in, in the agency. Are they the future leaders of the industry that we're really excited about, that we're getting their untapped ideas, that they're contributing to our massive uh, opportunities, or are we, um, you know, are we too good uh, to do the bread and butter work as senior and up, and are we only giving that to 
um, the junior creatives. And I think the junior creative for me is the most exciting thing, although it does require a lot of investment and some time to nurture that thinking and nurture that um, idea. I would like it to personally stay the same because you have the rest of your career to decide exactly what you want to do. And I've been mentoring on DNA D shift and that is like the best, the shifters are the best uh, untapped talent I've ever seen who have the best, most exciting ideas, uh, unrefined, but that's hopefully like where you come to the best ideas and the best outcomes for our clients. It's what's going to excite them. It's what's going to push independent agencies further than, you know, these large agencies who are, are stuck in, you know, those, you must have a junior team, a midweight team, a senior team and ACD and a creative director on every single mm. brief. Like it's, is it that we have a junior and we have uh, a senior working on a brief together as if they were a creative team, you know, it's that kind of, um, thought that I think we need to maybe reposition as an industry how we think of our juniors and that they are sort of the future of our industry they're going to be on these podcasts like we are now and how my they're dead gonna... body they'll take this job from me <laughs> how they're going to be reshaping and that's sort of all of our juniors probably going to be on here like um changing the world and, and we're gonna it's I find it really satisfying when I see somebody that I've mentored or somebody that I've worked with um in the past who is like doing incredible things and just like doing yeah. it how they do it that's so satisfying to me <laughs> and i wish i did that when i was a junior and wasn't working on petrol station banners or something <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a really optimistic way of looking at it Quite it's petrol almost the... station banners at the moment with the fuel shortage <laughs> Yeah, there would be. I yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that I really agree with. I mean, like talking about kind of not having like an ACD and a CD and all these kind of hierarchy across it. It kind of just reminds me of when I started digital, which is a long time ago, you know, and, and it was like that. There was no departments. And then, and then there's the kind of, that's not even called digital now, it's just advertising, right? But so as that kind of grew, all these departments grew and all these rules grew with it. But previously, you know, you could be like a junior developer working with a creative director, or you could be an animator with this. And I loved that time. That was the best time for me. So getting back to that would be great. But I just want to go back to the bit you're talking about the side hustle. And, you know, I think you need focus there, Chris, having eight of them, my friend. Um, that's quite a few, <laughs> uh, don't you know? It. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> certainly for our agencies that's always been part of the DNA we've always tried to kind of let people create exciting things and champion them and we're not all of them work you know a lot of there is a lot of kind of failure that comes across that and that's okay it, it was funny when we tried to make it rigid it was like everyone needs to be part of these things that's when it stopped working as well you need it needs to be fluid and these people need to feel like they have ownership over it and that type of thing um but if you can really get behind and champion it it can really help your business change as well so we have one of them which is called this thing of ours which is our new animation arm of our uh, of our company that started as a side hustle started this kind of thing one guy was like look you know we've got all this talent within the agency which is not being used because because we, we do this particular type of content. This is a particular type of content that people hire us for, but there's all these other things we can do over here. So they, they built this kind of community and now they're kind of like Instagram's got like 13, 14,000 people on it. They're all animators and illustrators and it's taking on this whole nother life. So it's almost become a whole department of the, of the business. So I think for us, it is part of reality and we always keep it part of the DNA. So. Nice. These are the platforms at the moment. They're they're you know, younger generation oriented platforms. TikTok, Gen Z sort of thing is. It, it it's important to hire and bring on talent that actually understand these platforms greater or better than than a lot of people that run the agencies in, in of themselves. I mean, mm. 
TikTok is is a phenomenon. It's huge, as we all know. And there is a specific style that works really well on there. But actually, you can hire the best agency in the world. If you've got people that don't get the platform, it ain't going to work. You need to have people that do get it. And 90% of the time, people that get it are the younger generations. So actually, there's a lot to be said for hiring young blood, because with it become or comes a lot of experience, weirdly, mm. that actually is just the general stuff they absorb. Like worse than it not working, it can be embarrassing. You can actually do proper brand damage <laughs> if you just launch onto that platform and have no idea what you're doing. Um, I hope for the best. We are unfortunately running out of time. Uh, we could, I know we could have spoken about this for days, but as a final question, then I wonder if, if anybody who's listening to this wants to get in contact with about any of the initiatives that you're doing within your own companies, or even just to bend your ear about how you think about talent in the future, where would be the best place for them to reach out to you? We've had everyone from, you know, every, people have shared everything from their LinkedIn profile to their company address to just their company page. So where would be the best place for people to reach out to you, Mike? Oh, right. They can, they can pick me on any one of those. I can put my email up or, you know, LinkedIn or Instagram or anything like that. Nice. Perfect. And what would be the yeah. company page? Oh, www.waste-creative.com. Perfect. Thanks. And Hannah? They can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn, um, which my name is Hannah Smith. So I have both my weird middle names, which is Jelly Grace in it. So Hannah Jelly Grace Smith. Um, or you can find our company page, which has information all about who Colt is, um, our futures initiative, which is looking into the future of um, beauty and our industry. And um, also our um, mentoring program, which is Futures Generation, which you can find on Instagram at Futures Gen. And um, our URL for our website is cultldm.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Oliver. Uh, easiest ways to email me at oliver at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Obviously, you can use the URL to get to the website. Um, but find us on LinkedIn. Just type in Oliver Bruce and you should see a mugshot of me sitting in a podcast studio. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, thank you all for taking the time to have a chat. I know that the Drum Network and the Drums audience more widely is really going to appreciate your insight in this being, you know, both employers and also uh, kind of younger people yourself as well. So there'll be a, little, a lot of insight that our older audience will be able to get from that. So thank you very much for taking part today. Thank you. That's very gen generous of you. <laughs> younger. <laughs> no worries. All right. See you. Thank you. Perfect. Everyone. Thank you so much.